Comcast Business gives you the bandwidth you need to power all your devices. Get started with 200 megabit internet and voice for $99.99 per month. And for a limited time, we'll upgrade your speed to 300 megabits for no additional cost for the first year with a three-year agreement. Call 1-800-501-6000 today. Comcast Business. Beyond fast. Offer 3120 restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. New business customers only limited to Comcast Business Internet. 200 megabits per second and one voice mobility line. Regular rates apply after first 12 months. Three-year agreement required. Early termination fee applies. Equipment taxes and fees extra subject to change. Monthly service charge increases by $10 without paperless billing and auto pay. Hearing dark stories in a podcast is one thing, but living in darkness is quite another. If you're living with depression and trying to deal with it using alcohol, illegal drugs, or other bad influences, please pick up the phone right now and get help. 800-831-1560. Every 12 minutes, someone dies of an overdose. Every 6 minutes, from alcohol abuse. Call 800-831-1560. With the FMLA, you can even take a leave of absence from your job and still keep it. 800-831-1560. Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. The iconic Dutch colonial-style building at 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville is best known today for the extraordinary account of a haunting at the house in 1976. The Amityville Horror, as it was soon known, became Comcast Business gives you the bandwidth you need to power all your devices. Get started with 200 megabit internet and voice for $99.99 per month. And for a limited time, we'll upgrade your speed to 300 megabits for no additional cost for the first year with a three-year agreement. Call 1-800-501-6000 today. Comcast Business. Beyond fast. Offer 3120 restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. New business customers only limited to Comcast Business Internet. 200 megabits per second and one voice mobility line. Regular rates apply. After first 12 months, three-year agreement required. Early termination fee applies. Equipment taxes and fees extra subject to change. Monthly service charge increases by $10 without paperless billing and auto pay. One of the most famous incidents of paranormal activity ever recorded. It would inspire a book and a successful series of Hollywood films. The account of the young Lutz family being tormented by demonic pigs plagues of flies and green slime oozing from the walls terrified readers and moviegoers, all the more so because it was labeled as a true story. One surprisingly little-known fact about the Amityville Horror is that it was an admitted hoax. George Lutz and his wife Kathy invented the haunting with the help of lawyer and literary agent William Weber. But the paranormal version obscures a very real horror, one far more frightening and mysterious than the fanciful tales of poltergeists Hollywood gave the world. Because in the same house, less than two years earlier, one of the strangest and most baffling of mass murders in recent history occurred. And the true events may not be the story that you're familiar with. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, Weirdos! This is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends and lore, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale for me to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you've not done so already so you don't miss a single episode. And I'd like for you to join me for my upcoming 12 Nightmares of Christmas. I'll be telling terrifying true stories from the book The Spirits of Christmas – The Dark Side of the Holidays from author Sylvia Schultz. 
come back every day from December 13th through the 24th for another creepy Christmas episode. And please tell your friends and family so they can listen in too. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… We've all heard of the Headless Horseman, but Sleepy Hollow's lesser-known ghost will terrify you all the more. Theodore Roosevelt was so tough that during one of his speeches he was shot in the chest, but still kept going until his speech was over. And then there was Alice, his daughter, who may have been even tougher than Teddy. An icy cold hand caresses a girl in the middle of the night. For most people, spotting a UFO would be considered extremely unusual, but for two Ohio women, seeing a UFO was the least surprising part of their experience. Was there another gunman in the notorious Amityville House murders? We'll begin with that story. Now bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. The first sign that something was terribly wrong in the picturesque Suffolk County coastal village of Amityville came at around 6.30 p.m. when a frantic local resident named Ronnie Butch DeFeo Jr. burst into Henry's bar with a shocking story. You gotta help me, he yelled. I think my mother and father are shot. Several of the bar's patrons immediately rushed to the house where they were hit with the stench of death. DeFeo's mother and father were both shot in their beds. Worse still, four of their children had been slaughtered as well. One of them, Joe Yeswit, called the Suffolk County Police with the awful news. On their arrival, a search of the house confirmed the worst. Every member of the DeFeo family, save for Butch, were dead. The victims were Ronald DeFeo Sr., 43, Louise DeFeo, 42, and four of their children, Dawn, 18, Allison, 13, Mark, 12, and John Matthew, 9. Each of them had been shot execution-style at close range as they slept, and all six were found laying in their beds face down on their stomachs. As police trawled the house, the lone survivor, Butch DeFeo, cut a forlorn figure outside, refusing to go in. DeFeo mentioned to officers that he felt a mob hitman was responsible for the killings, a suggestion taken seriously because of the methodical way the family seemed to have been killed. DeFeo was taken into police custody for his own protection, but didn't stick to his mob story for very long. Within 24 hours, the surviving DeFeo had made a shocking confession. He had murdered his family, himself. Once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast, DeFeo told stunned detectives. After the murders, he admitted he took a shower, changed his clothes, and disposed of the murder weapon. With a full confession, the subsequent investigation seemed straightforward. At around 3.15 a.m., November 13th, Butch DeFeo had awoken and for reasons that may forever remain unclear, took a 35 caliber Marlin rifle and systematically shot all six members of his family. But even some of the detectives 
keen to quickly wrap up their biggest ever murder case, could see there was something very wrong with this story. How had Butch shot six people in four different rooms without any of them waking up? How had no neighbors heard the rifle blasts? If everyone was shot in bed, how had blood splatter got on the floor and a dresser? Many had begun to feel Butch could not have acted alone. Unburnt gunshot residue on DeFeo's sister Dawn even indicated she might have been involved. Were there other gunmen in the DeFeo family massacre? At the subsequent trial, Ronald DeFeo Jr. proved to be a terrible witness. His story constantly changed, and his erratic and strange behavior alienated him to everyone. He even threatened to kill the judge and his own lawyer. On November 21, 1975, he was found guilty on six counts of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to six concurrent 25-year sentences, although he is unlikely to ever be released. But despite the conviction, it was clear there was a serious problem with the official story. The court had determined that DeFeo had acted alone, killing all six members of his family with a 35-gauge Marlin rifle. DeFeo had supposedly shot each victim as they slept, and both prosecution and defense agreed he had not used a silencer. How had DeFeo committed the shooting alone without any of his family waking up? Defense experts had conducted an experiment on the Marlin rifle and found its report was so loud that it could be heard almost a mile away. According to the autopsy and ballistic reports, each victim was shot as they were found, face down in their beds. It seemed none of them had been awoken by the shots, and none had put up any kind of struggle or tried to hide or flee the scene. Ken Grigowski, the former Amityville police chief, was one of the first law enforcement professionals at the scene. To this day, he finds it hard to believe DeFeo could have committed the shootings without any members of his family waking up. Why someone wasn't able to get out of that house is beyond belief, he later said. What made this particularly inexplicable was the locations of the six bodies strongly suggesting DeFeo could not have committed the shootings so rapidly that nobody had time to react. In fact, DeFeo had fired a total of eight ear-shredding shots, estimated to be 140 decibels each, in four different rooms of the sprawling house, across two different floors, and yet it seems he had not disturbed anyone. Nor did any neighbors hear the shots. 112 Ocean Avenue was not an isolated property. It was surrounded quite closely by other homes. When police interviewed the residents, nobody reported hearing anything except the barking of the DeFeo family dog. Dr. Howard Adelman, deputy chief medical examiner of Suffolk County, was present at the crime scene and personally conducted the autopsies of the DeFeo family. He testified at the trial that he felt it was impossible for one person to have committed the crimes. Even if they were sleeping, the report of the weapon that was used is supposed to be so loud that it would have, so to speak, awakened the dead, he said, and neither had any of the victims been drugged. We did extensive toxicology, not only on the blood and urine, 
but on all of the organs that we removed and it turned up zero that there wasn't anything in their body," Adelman explained. The idea that Butch DeFeo had committed the crimes on his own was becoming increasingly untenable. Even the man who secured DeFeo's 25-to-life prison sentence for the crimes, prosecutor Gerard Sullivan, long suspected that other shooters had to be involved. I wonder about the questions that were never answered. Did any of the victims wake up? If so, why didn't any of them defend themselves? Why were all six found face down in death? Why didn't anyone hear the shots?" he wrote in his book, High Hopes, in 1981. If then, as seemed likely, DeFeo had not acted alone, who had helped him commit this horrifying crime? Several investigators and authors have suggested Butch DeFeo's oldest sister, Dawn, played some part in the shootings. The first five victims were on the second floor of the DeFeo house. Ronald Sr. and mother, Louise DeFeo, were both shot twice in the master bedroom. Moving across to the other side of the house, the gunman then shot the two boys, Mark and John. Completing the second floor of shootings, 13-year-old Allison DeFeo was shot once in the head. That's a total of seven shots, at 140 decibels each, before the gunman even started to ascend the stairs to Don DeFeo's third-floor bedroom. It is therefore unthinkable that Don, entirely unsedated or drugged, would not already have been alerted to a gunman before they had even arrived on the third floor. Yet, as we have seen, she appeared to be peacefully asleep, face down in her bed, having made no attempt to escape, defend herself, or hide. Had Dawn, as some suspected, actually participated in the shooting herself, only to then be shot by her brother and placed in her bed? Although Butch DeFeo is notorious for the sheer number of contradictory stories he has told about the murders over the years, one of his more consistent accounts is, indeed, that Dawn did take part in the killings. In most versions of his story, he has claimed responsibility for the murder of his mother and father and showed little remorse for them, but he has often blamed Dawn for killing the family's children, Mark, John, and Allison. After discovering what she had done, DeFeo says he then killed Dawn after a struggle with the rifle. Some evidence does exist to tentatively support this scenario. Dawn seems to have been killed somewhere other than her bed and placed there after her death. Crime scene investigators discovered that Dawn had suffered a huge head wound and that brain matter and blood was on her pillow, bedclothes, and nightgown. Yet her white headboard, just inches from her head, was pristine. The lack of blood splatter was strongly indicative that she had been shot somewhere else. Blood splatter was also found on a dresser and floorboards in the house, again demonstrating the possibility at least some of the shootings had occurred away from the beds. Some investigators have speculated that unburnt gunshot residue found on Don's body indicated she might have handled a firearm or ammunition, although the prosecution expert at the trial, Alfred Della Pena, thought this could have occurred as a result of the muzzle flash when Don was shot. Rick Moran, amongst the first group of reporters at the scene that night the bodies were discovered, had studied the DeFeo murders for more than 30 years. He is sure that Don was involved in some way. 
Moran cites one of Butch DeFeo's strangest claims amongst his many conflicting statements as evidence. DeFeo has said several times that on the night of the shootings, he was watching TV in a drug-induced haze when a strange black-hooded figure came to him and handed him a rifle and urged him to commit the murders. Moran thinks this figure could have been Dawn. According to the reporter, Dawn was often spotted by neighbors wearing a black snorkel-style coat, which may have led a heavily stoned Butch to mistake her for a sinister figure. Although clearly highly anecdotal, Moran says one of his contacts at the Drug Enforcement Agency backs up the story. He had told Moran that someone from the DEA actually had the house under surveillance the night of the murders due to a suspicion that Butch had been smuggling drugs in his speedboat. This DEA agent has supposedly observed Dawn in her black coat leaving the house with a rifle, getting into a car, and driving off in the direction the firearm was subsequently found by the police. If Dawn and Butch plotted the murders together, could Butch's incapacity due to heavy drug use have spurred Dawn to commit them herself? And once Butch had come down, had he shot Dawn after the horror of what she had done dawned on him? On the face of it, this scenario seems far-fetched, but it does help explain many of the puzzling and intractable issues with the crime scene, and evidence from the trial indicates Dawn's mindset may have been disturbed enough to make her taking such extreme actions seem at least plausible. Dawn's boyfriend, William Davidge, stated to the court that Dawn was a habitual user of LSD and mescaline and had recently started to become extremely hostile toward her parents because they had refused to allow her to live with him. The DeFeo family were by all accounts dysfunctional and troubled, and Ronald DeFeo Sr. was reported to be particularly violent, controlling, and abusive to both his wife and children, all commonly cited factors in patricide. Butch DeFeo has given several different versions of the murders in which people other than Don DeFeo were part of the conspiracy but with little or no evidence to support them, Dawn remains the most likely candidate for an extra shooter. In the hours following the shooting, when police interviewed local Amityville residents, many told the detectives they felt Butch DeFeo was responsible. Considering the reputation DeFeo had developed in the sleepy community, it was not so surprising that residents immediately felt he had committed the atrocity. Over the years, he was continually in trouble for his thuggish and erratic behavior, theft, and drug abuse. During the run-up to the murders, DeFeo's drug-taking had become particularly acute. By his own admission, he was consuming huge amounts of heroin and marijuana and drinking a bottle of scotch every day, despite already being on probation for drug crimes at the time. His violence was also spiraling out of control. At the trial, much testimony was offered for DeFeo's temper and obsession with guns. One witness recalled how DeFeo had held a shotgun up at the head of a young man during a hunting party and watched stony-faced as the man turned white with fear. On another occasion, DeFeo held a 12-gauge shotgun up against his own father's head during an argument and even pulled the trigger. The shotgun failed to fire, and DeFeo Sr. reportedly found religion soon afterwards. Psychologists subsequently diagnosed Butch as having antisocial personality disorder, displaying little or no empathy for other people. 
Some speculated that DeFeo's many different accounts of the murders were attempts to shift blame for the deaths of his siblings to anyone but himself. Whilst DeFeo showed no feelings for his mother and detested his father, he would always become agitated and upset when talking about the deaths of his brothers and little sister. If he could successfully convince others, and perhaps even himself, that someone else had killed the children, it may have helped to assuage his own guilt about the murders. One of the major problems with the multiple gunmen scenario is the testimony of the prosecution's ballistics experts who stated all of the wounds to the six victims were made with the same firearm. A study of the wounds to the DeFeo family and the expended cartridges found at the crime scene indicate eight shots had been fired. All eight shell casings were found and forensically linked to a single 35 caliber Marlin rifle found by police thrown in the dock directly behind the house. Although Herman Race, an experienced criminologist hired by the defense, disputed this ballistic evidence, it seemed quite conclusive. But it did little to reconcile the enduring and seemingly intractable contradictions in the case. To this day, no truly satisfactory account of what happened has ever been offered. Butch DeFeo is no help, seemingly lost in his own miasma of lies and delusions, and everyone else who was there is dead. All we know for sure is that six lives were destroyed, seven if you count Butch DeFeo, who will surely die in prison. Whatever happened that horrible night in Amityville, the truth may forever be lost amidst fictional stories of ghosts and demons. Up next, we've all heard of the Headless Horseman, but Sleepy Hollow's lesser-known ghost will terrify you all the more. Teddy Roosevelt was so tough that during one of his speeches, he was shot in the chest and kept speaking until his speech was over, and that's nothing compared to his tough daughter Alice. And an icy cold hand caresses a girl in the middle of the night. These stories and more when Weird Darkness returns. Have you heard about the hemp oil explosion? It's exploding for good reason. It's beneficial in a wide range of applications, including health, anti-aging, nutrition, pain relief, hair growth as a vitamin supplement, energy and focus, stress relief, better sleep. It's even useful for the furry family members in your home. And even better, it's all natural. I'm currently using a hemp oral spray as an appetite suppressant, and it's helped me immensely to keep the late-night junk food cravings at bay. If you want to check it out for yourself, look for CTFO on the sponsors page at WeirdDarkness.com. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. You know, there's no better way to get visions of sugar plums dancing in your head than if you're laying on a my pillow. I will never go back to an ordinary pillow. And for Weird Darkness listeners, MyPillow has come out with a Christmas four-pack deal. Two premium MyPillows plus two go-anywhere pillows. And they're even throwing in free shipping for the holidays for this special four-pack offer only. It's the perfect gift for family, friends, yourself. The two premium MyPillows can be used on your bed or on the couch. And the two go-anywhere pillows, they are great for relaxing in the family room while watching TV or listening to the Weird Darkness podcast, and they're perfect for on-the-road travel for business trips 
or if you're heading to Grandma's house for the holidays. Get the Christmas MyPillow 4-Pack Special by visiting MyPillow.com and use the promo code WEIRD to get free shipping with this offer alone. That's MyPillow.com or call 1-800-945-7192 and ask for the Christmas 4-Pack Special. MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WEIRD. Many travelers come to Sleepy Hollow in search of its best-known spirit, the Headless Horseman, made famous by Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. However, these ghost-seekers may not be aware of a second local legend, which has haunted the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery for over 100 years – the Bronze Lady. Larger than life and cast in bronze, the towering statue watches over the mausoleum of Civil War General Samuel Thomas. Though her rather sleepy visage appears more sad than threatening, legend says that at night she comes to life and wanders the cemetery grounds, terrifying anyone who may have entered on a dare. According to lore, as you get closer to the Bronze Lady, you'll hear her weeping. If you knock on the door to the General's mausoleum once or three times depending on whose instructions you follow, you'll have bad dreams that night. Finally, if you dare to approach and sit in the Bronze Lady's lap, she'll allegedly cry tears of blood. If you further insult the statue, say by hitting it in the face, you will be cursed for life. Thrill-seeking visitors have been known to run screaming from the cemetery after a supposed encounter with the Bronze Lady. The statue was commissioned by General Thomas's widow upon his death in 1903. A prominent sculptor of the time, Andrew O'Connor Jr., created the lady. Jessie Phoebe Brown, O'Connor's muse and mistress, modeled for the statue. Though the Bronze Lady is one of the more popular monuments in Sleepy Hollow's cemetery, the widow who commissioned it was not so happy with the finished product. She told O'Connor that she had hoped for something more gay, a rather odd request for a statue meant for a mausoleum. So, O'Connor cast another, happier head. But as soon as Mrs. Thomas told him she liked it, he smashed it on the floor, telling her, I just made this to show you that I could do it. I should never let such a monstrosity out of my studio. As for the bronze lady's supposed supernatural powers, some Sleepy Hollow locals claimed to have tempted fate when they were younger by insulting the statue. They never suffered a curse. But Emily Storms Arminio, a 10th-generation Sleepy Hollow native, said her grandmother told her if you touch the Bronze Lady on the face and say a prayer, either something very good or very bad will happen. I scoffed at the tale, Arminio told the New York Times, but two days after I touched the Bronze Lady's face, a storm brought down a tree limb that crushed my Camaro. Approach the Bronze Lady yourself at your own peril in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, located in Sleepy Hollow, New York. On October 14, 1912, former American president, as well as cowboy, adventurer, soldier, and New York Police Commissioner Theodore Roosevelt was shot in the chest while giving a speech in Milwaukee and just kept right on talking. Angry about the way that America had been run since he left office, 
he decided to run again for president as the Progressive Party candidate. While campaigning, he was shot by John Schrenk, a mentally unbalanced New York saloonkeeper who was opposed to Roosevelt running for a third time, which was allowed but frowned upon in those days. Even after being shot, Roosevelt went right along with his speech and even laughed, it takes more than one bullet to kill a bull moose. And from that point on, the Progressive Party was nicknamed the Bull Moose Party in honor of the former Rough Rider. As a side note, Theodore Roosevelt was so tough he kept the bullet in his chest for the rest of his life. Unfortunately, though, he did lose the election. But one has to wonder if all of his adventures in Africa and the Amazon, his charge up San Juan Hill, and even getting shot in the chest were as terrifying as being the father to his spirited daughter Alice. She was the one he was talking about when someone told him that he needed to control his daughter. Teddy replied, Sir, I can run the country or I can control Alice, but I cannot do both. Roosevelt had quite the reputation in his day. He'd made a name for himself out west, knocked heads with criminals and politicians in New York, led a bunch of cowboys, misfits, and polo pony riders during a series of crazed battles in Cuba, carved out the Panama Canal, and coined phrases like, speak softly and carry a big stick. America was at the top of its game, really coming into its own as a world power. Roosevelt was feared by people across the globe, but not by his oldest daughter, Alice. Alice famously did whatever she wanted during her father's presidency. She said what she wanted, she smoked in public, she drank and didn't care what people thought. And you'd better believe that nobody could say or do anything to Alice without incurring the wrath of her father. She was unafraid of speaking her mind or voicing her opinion. At a time when women were usually considered to be practically a piece of furniture, and she frequently did these things when dignitaries were visiting the White House, and she usually did it just to make them angry. She also shared her father's love of firearms, and it's noted that she always carried a pistol with her when she went on long train journeys so that she could lean out the window and shoot at telephone poles when she was bored. And then there was the voodoo doll. Alice publicly announced that she had buried a voodoo doll in the White House garden at the end of her father's term so that she could cast a hex on the incoming Taft administration. And it worked. Taft only served one term and made the voodoo doll story famous. Woodrow Wilson heard the story and was so unnerved by it that he banned Alice from the White House. He went on to be elected to two terms, but he also died after having a stroke during his second term. Maybe there was a little bit of that hoodoo left in the garden after all. I was 10 years old, some 20-odd years ago, and going through what I look back on now as a pretty tough time, though it didn't occur to me then. It was just life. My parents had recently divorced, and I lived alone with my ma'am, northern colloquialism for mum. She had to take on extra work after my dad left, and I had recently been given my own key as I was due to start secondary school and she wouldn't be in when I came home. It was a hard time, 
with never enough money and so much change and turmoil. I was obviously more anxious about the whole situation than I thought at the time, as my experience starts with a dream. Despite the time that has passed, I remember everything about that night with such clarity like it was yesterday. I remember I was dreaming that I had lost my newly acquired door key at the deep end of the secondary school's swimming pool when I was awoken by someone sitting on my bed. I was laid on my side, facing the wall, and I had a cabin bed, which is a raised bed a few feet from the floor, which was accessed by a small ladder. I immediately tensed. My ma'am never sat on my bed when she tucked me in. She had to stand on her tiptoes to kiss me goodnight. She most certainly wasn't going to climb a ladder to sit with me, and I just knew it wasn't her. There was no one else in the house. We lived alone. I could feel the pressure in the small of my back as someone leaned against me and began to run their hands up and down my side on top of the covers, in a comforting way. The way you would when you smooth the covers when you tuck your child in and if you were soothing them off to sleep. It was in no way threatening. Despite that, I was frightened. I laid with my face to the wall and didn't dare move. I kept thinking, don't let them know you're awake, and I tried to regulate my breathing. After what I felt like was forever, but most likely was minutes, half an hour at most, I heard my ma'am get up and go to the bathroom. Still facing the wall and not moving, I shouted, ma'am, have you been in my room? She replied, no, why? and I asked her to come in. During this, I could still feel the pressure on my back and the weight on my bed, though the movement of hands had stopped. As soon as I asked her to come in, the pressure eased and disappeared. She came in and I told her what had happened. As I was explaining and I was showing her where the pressure was, we realized that despite it being a warm time of the year and the rest of the duvet being room temperature, that that spot on my body was icy, icy cold. My ma'am told me not to worry, that it was the living we should be scared of, not the dead. She had no idea who it could be, having not lost any close relatives recently, but we agreed that it meant no harm, only comfort. It never happened again, though I did always get a weird feeling in that room, and never felt wholly comfortable, and in the end, I moved into the spare room. My poor little ma'am was taken away from me a few years ago after a ridiculously short battle with a very aggressive cancer, and I miss her every day still. I wonder why she doesn't visit me, despite us both believing and me sharing that experience with her, but there are many things I don't understand about that kind of thing. A couple of things have happened since her death, but nothing conclusive. I'd love to speak to her just one more time, though. I'm not sure the mediums in my area are particularly reputable, and I don't want to risk a bad experience on something so important. I did toy with the idea that the ghost which visited me when I was 10 may have been me when I die in the future, or even my ma'am after she died. Surely time has no relevance when you're dead. And I, she, wanted to show me when I was younger that it would be okay in the end. I don't know. It now sounds crazy when I say it. When Weird Darkness Returns, 
For most people, spotting a UFO would be considered extremely unusual, but for two Ohio women, seeing a UFO was the least surprising part of their experience. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by the audiobook Theodore the Great, Conservative Crusader, written by Daniel Ruddy. Theodore Roosevelt has a complicated legacy. To some, he was the quintessential American patriot and hero, a valiant soldier and hawkish leader. Others remember him as the progressive cultural icon, the trustbuster who split from the Republican Party. So who was the real Teddy Roosevelt? Daniel Ruddy's new biography cuts through the impenetrable tangle of misconceptions and contradictions that have grown up over the last century and obscured our view of a man who remains one of the most controversial and misunderstood presidents in U.S. history. Weighing Roosevelt's lifetime of actions against his sometimes contradictory progressive rhetoric, Ruddy paints a portrait of a man who led by undeniably conservative principles, but who obfuscated his own legacy with populist speeches. By focusing on Roosevelt's actions and his effect on American history, Ruddy clears the cobwebs and presents a real and convincing case for remembering Theodore Roosevelt as a great conservative leader. Theodore the Great, Conservative Crusader by Daniel Ruddy, narrated by Darren Marlar. Here a free sample on the audiobooks page at WeirdDarkness.com. Have you been dreaming of writing your own book? Have you already written one? How would you like to be a published author with Dorant Publishing? They've been working with authors and publishing great books for nearly a hundred years, and your book could be next. And they cover it all. They edit your text, design your book pages, create a great-looking cover for your book. Plus, as one of their authors, you'll also benefit from a custom book promotion marketing campaign, making your book available everywhere people buy books – online like Amazon, but also brick-and-mortar bookstores. Your only job is to write the book. Call Dorans Publishing toll-free at 800-847-1362. 800-847-1362. Even if you're only curious, it's still worth making this free call to get their free author's guide to becoming a published author. Call Dorans Publishing at 800-847-1362. Imagine, someday I might be promoting your book in my podcast. 800-847-1362. In June 2001, two sisters, Angie Whitmire and Deborah Simmons, were returning from a day of shopping in Dayton, Ohio, when a strange light in the sky caught their attention. We were heading home to Kingman, Ohio, on State Road 73, Deborah recalled, it was a beautiful evening, around 8.30 p.m., the air was warm and the sky crystal clear. Angie was driving and I was watching the scenery go by when I noticed a bright light in the western sky. Deborah watched in amazement as the light grew in intensity and flew toward the car at an incredible speed. Deborah asked me what that weird light was, said Angie, but we were close to Caesar Creek Lake and the road was pretty dark so I wasn't paying a lot of attention to it but then it flew right in front of us so I couldn't miss it. The bright light soared past the car and hovered over the nearby treetops, casting an eerie glow over the entire area. 
Whitmire pulled the car over onto the side of the road so they could get a better look at the unusual object. Deborah was shocked by how large and close the UFO was to them. The light was so bright and white that you couldn't see any shape behind it, but we could tell it was pretty big, at least as big as a house. The funny thing was that I couldn't hear any sort of engine like you would normally hear with an airplane or a helicopter. It was completely silent. Suddenly, another identical bright light swooped down from the sky and hovered a short distance away. The two sisters decided the situation was becoming too strange and tried to drive away. That's when I discovered that the car had stopped and I couldn't restart it, Angie said. Nothing worked. The lights, the radio, it was completely dead. The two women also noticed an odd silence had descended over the area, accompanied by a strange feeling of isolation. Angie remembered that it seemed as if they were the only people in the world. I don't remember seeing another car come by during the entire time we were there, which is really weird because at that time of an evening there's always traffic on that road, and it was just dead silent outside no birds, nothing. It was as if we were in another world. Uncertain what to do next, Angie and her sister continued to watch the strange pair of lights when, unexpectedly, both objects shot straight up and disappeared into the night sky. The area was plunged into darkness, and, oddly enough, the normal sounds of the night came back almost as if switched on. As soon as the lights flew away, Deborah said, the car started running again all by itself. The lights and radio were on just as they were before everything happened. According to their watches, the strange encounter had lasted more than 20 minutes. However, when they arrived home, Deborah's husband seemed unconcerned about what they thought was a late arrival. That's when they discovered that instead of being after 9 p.m., as their wristwatches indicated, it was only 8.35 p.m. It was as if the entire time we spent looking at those lights had never happened, Angie said, but it did happen. Our watches both showed we had been stuck out there for over 20 minutes, but somehow we gained that time back with a few minutes to spare. Normally, we should have been home at around 10 to 9, but somehow, despite what had happened, we got there early. One of the strangest aspects of some UFO encounters is the apparent distortion of time when a UFO was nearby. Researchers and writers have tried for years to understand and to interpret what happens before, during, and after a close encounter with a UFO. But many reports of time anomalies have been kept off some UFO databases because such events fall outside of the preconceived notions of what a UFO sighting should entail. Like the two Ohio sisters, Others who have experienced a close contact with a UFO have reported apparent time distortions like the failure of car engines, a strange feeling of isolation to the point where it is observed that no other vehicles or people are seen during the sighting, unusual silence, spatial changes, altered states of consciousness, and distortions in the flow of time. Generally, these anomalies disappear along with the UFO. Occasionally, however, the witnesses will suffer from unexpected relapses, weeks, even years after the initial experience. These anomalous events have created more headaches than answers for researchers 
who have attempted to find scientific validation for unusual UFO encounters. On the surface, some of the reported anomalies seem to be explainable using modern science. However, upon closer analysis, strange things tend to become even stranger. The disruption of car motors, machinery, and electronic devices during a UFO event has been commonly reported. Thousands of these inexplicable stories have been duly recorded over the years and many volumes have been written in an attempt to understand the underlying principles involved. Mark Rajair of the Center for UFO Studies analyzed 441 cases in which the car, truck, or other motor vehicle in which a witness was either riding or in near proximity to was seemingly affected by the presence of a UFO. Headlights, radios, and even flashlights were also affected. Of the vehicle failure cases summarized by Rajair, 10% noted an unusual phenomenon called spontaneous engine restarts at the end of a sighting. In reality, this figure is probably much higher, considering the amount of underreported and underdocumented cases worldwide. In these cases, the car's engine would mysteriously restart without the driver turning the key. One witness said, as soon as the UFO flew away, the car, radio, headlights switched back on by themselves. One second everything was completely dead, and the next everything was running smoothly as if nothing had ever happened. The witness said he was left with the feeling that his car had been stopped between the ticks of a clock, like time had completely vanished. Another notable feature of many cases is the sudden unusual silence and an overwhelming feeling of isolation in the proximity of a UFO. Many people have noted that normal sounds – birds, insects, traffic – suddenly stop just before and during a close UFO sighting. A man from Wisconsin reported that he had observed a UFO hovering over the treetops directly over his head once while deer hunting. He stated that the day had been windy and the trees were swaying and creaking pretty loudly in the breeze. What made him look up was the fact that all of a sudden the forest went completely dead. He noted that the trees had stopped moving as if frozen in place. That is when he noticed a strange, dark, triangular-shaped object floating over the trees. It was a little bigger than a pickup truck and was solid black. I didn't see any lights or hear any kind of sound from it. The hunter reported feeling like he was looking up through a tunnel with me at the bottom and the UFO at the top. I knew that I was completely alone and that no one could help me. As soon as the UFO passed overhead, the forest returned to normal. The experience of such unusual sensations around a UFO has been dubbed the Oz Effect by UFO researcher and author Jenny Randles and may indicate that there could be a field of influence that's being emitted around a UFO. Anyone close enough to a UFO would find himself completely contained within this field. The odd effects noticed by eyewitnesses could give us some kind of indication of the true nature of these energy fields. Unfortunately, anecdotal accounts of UFO experiences have rarely been followed up with rigorous studies of their content. Scientists brave or foolhardy enough to try and conduct proper research on the nature of UFOs have been unable to find satisfactory answers as to why UFOs seem to cause time distortions. Past interpretations of Einstein's physics 
leave little room for localized time anomalies, unless influenced by a gravitationally massive object such as a black hole. However, the new kids on the physics block, quantum and string theories, may show that time and space are easier to influence than was previously thought. Some physicists believe that it is possible to engineer space-time itself and to surround a spaceship with a local space-time in such a way that, locally, the light barrier remains intact, while from the outside the ship is moving at faster-than-light velocity. UFOs that seem to rapidly accelerate, change direction, or even disappear are actually operating conservatively from the viewpoint of their own internal time rates. If someone or something came close enough to a ship that was creating its own space-time, normal time and space, as they know it, would cease to exist for them, and they would come under the influence of the artificial space-time. This could explain some of the stranger aspects of UFO encounters, such as environmental sounds disappearing, isolation, the freezing of motors and electronic devices, and the feeling of time slowing down, stretching out, and losing all meaning. The UFO is literally creating an alteration in the local state of space-time, thus generating a major distortion effect that's experienced by the witnesses. Within this time anomaly, the perceived forward motion of time could even disappear, allowing for the past, present, and future to intrude upon one another. In 1981, Linda Taylor and her mother were traveling in Manchester, England. The normally busy road they were on became strangely empty, and the two women noticed a huge light in the sky that seemed to pace their car. Linda told investigators that her car jerked about and slowed down despite her attempts to accelerate. Suddenly, an old-fashioned car appeared in the road ahead and drove straight towards the two women. At the same time, the light in the sky turned into a metal disc that hovered over the main road. As the UFO moved away from Taylor and her mother, the old car vanished instantly. When the women returned home, they found that two hours were missing from their trip. As with some others who have had close UFO encounters, Linda later had several odd psychic experiences and further time lapses. Time distortions may not always occur with a visible UFO nearby. In 1980, Peter Rochkowitz, now a professor of humanities and folklore at New York's Juilliard School, was in the University of Pennsylvania's library, reading a UFO book suggested by another professor. As he read, Rochkowitz noticed that someone was standing in front of him. Looking up, he saw a very gaunt, pale man about six feet tall, weighing around 140 pounds. The strange man wore a black suit, black shoes, a black string tie, and a bright white shirt. His suit was loose, and it looked as though he had slept in it for days. He sat down like he had dropped from the ceiling, all in one movement, and folded his hands on top of a stack of books in front of him, Rojkowicz said. The man asked Rojkowicz what he was doing. He said he was reading about flying saucers. Have you seen a flying saucer? the man asked. Rojkowicz said he hadn't. Do you believe in the reality of flying saucers? Rojkowicz said he didn't know much about them and wasn't sure he was very interested in the phenomena. The man screamed, Flying saucers are the most important fact of the century and you are not interested? The man then stood up, again all in a single awkward movement, put his hand on Rojkowicz's shoulder and said, 
go well on your purpose. With that, he left. Rajkowitz was suddenly overwhelmed by fear. I had a sense that this man was out of the ordinary, and that idea frightened me. I got up and walked around the stacks toward where the reference librarians usually are. The librarians weren't there. There were no guards there. There was nobody else in the library. I was utterly alone and terrified. The professor went back to the table where he'd been reading to get myself together, he said. It took me about an hour. Then I got up and everything was back to normal. The people were all there. It would seem that Rajkowitz could have been placed in a separate time-space field in order for his contact to occur. The entire episode may have occurred in the blink of an eye in normal time-space, but for Rajkowitz, an entire hour had passed. One gentleman who reported his alleged UFO abduction on an internet forum said that when he was being returned from an abduction to the motel room where he was staying, he noticed that there was a person in the parking lot below us. Myself and several greys were floating in mid-air, so I had a bird's-eye view of the surroundings, who seemed to be frozen in mid-step. Everything was dead quiet and nothing was moving. It was as if time had stopped or frozen for the few moments it took for them to transport me from a UFO back to my room that was located on the second floor of the motel. These interesting cases show that there is still a lot we have to learn from UFO reports. Investigators need to be willing to look beyond the traditional by-the-book questions and allow the witnesses to relate their entire experience, no matter how unusual it may be. Many researchers and databases fail to mention some of the stranger aspects of UFO encounters because they don't fit a particular belief system or bias. We can learn much more if researchers put aside their own personal feelings and allow the full information to come forward. Currently, any theories and conclusions are really little more than speculation. Nevertheless, scientists who are not afraid to look beyond the norm are every day developing new concepts in physics and the true nature of reality. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. And if you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. And a big welcome to my newest patron, Michael Reed. Welcome to the Weirdo family, Michael. All patrons get commercial-free versions of Weird Darkness on weekdays, plus two exclusive bonus episodes on the weekends. And if you sign up at only $10 a month, you also get more exclusive content such as chapters of books that I'm narrating into audiobooks as I record them, often weeks or months before they ever hit retail or online stores. I'm currently narrating Suffer the Children, American Horrors, Homicides, and Hauntings by Troy Taylor, and you can get more information about how to become a patron at WeirdDarkness.com. Also at WeirdDarkness.com, you can get the free mobile app, find Weird Darkness on Facebook and Twitter, join the Weirdo Facebook group, read creepy stories or watch eerie videos I find online, and more. And if you like the show, please tell your friends about it on all your social media, text, email, and any other way you connect with the outside world. You can email me at darren at weirddarkness.com, and if you'd like, you can send me something physical in the mail by going to the Weird Darkness contact page to get my mailing address. And while you're listening to the podcast, why don't you take a moment, leave a rating and review. I might read your comments here in the podcast. 
50DW50 in Great Britain left a review in Apple Podcasts saying, "...spooky. Just discovered the podcast. I'm really enjoying them. Entertaining and thought-provoking." And Nikki Versage also left an Apple Podcast review saying, "...best podcast I've ever heard. What started out as just a way to drown out the barking dogs at work has turned into an obsession. The stories are always captivating. They're updated more often than most podcasts, and your voice is very soothing. Thank you so much for the many breaks of peace I get every day because of this." Well, thank you to both of you for those very kind words. The following stories in this episode are purported to be true, and you can find links in the show notes. The DeFeo family massacre was posted at The Unredacted. The Bronze Lady of Sleepy Hollow was written by Jessica Ferry. A Bullet and a Voodoo Doll was written by Troy Taylor. A Comfort was written by Lady Madonna. UFOs and Time Distortions was written by Tim Swartz. Music provided by Midnight Syndicate and Shadow Symphony. You can find links to both in the show notes. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out onto us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. From the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Learn more about Gig Speed Internet or other popular plans. With Xfinity, you'll enjoy faster downloads and a better streaming experience. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. How does one frame a masterpiece? If it's a painting, some wood and gold leaf will do. But what about a masterpiece of the edible variety? Like Boar's Head Oven Gold Turkey. Crafted from a family recipe, seasoned with savory spices and then slow-roasted until it's fork-tender and brimming with flavor. So, what could frame such a masterpiece? Perhaps a little bread would do. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere.